Hello, hello everyone. Um, welcome back to Finding Freedom in Finance. My name is Brayden and I'm back. So today I'm going to be releasing two episodes pretty quickly back to back. I'm going to be recording them both here tonight. So the first one that I want to record is about the um, Bitcoin paradox. Um, if you guys haven't already listened to the first episode that I made about Bitcoin, I would recommend that because it provides a lot of background into this one but i'm going to definitely make this one its own standalone thing to clearly talk about this issue so you won't have to go listen to that other one but i think it provides some important context about what bitcoin is because i'm not going to go too far into that um so yeah i'm, I'm gonna first talk about the bitcoin paradox which what do i mean by that well first like i said i'm gonna kind of intro some important things about bitcoin that you need to know for this episode um, when it was first created in 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin was initially thought of as a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, right? We, we see this all the time. Um, you know, I buy this thing and I send it to you. It's not like Apple Pay or something like that. It was kind of this way to democratize kind of um, transactions and kind of give an upgrade to kind of an age-old system of dollars and cents. You know, it's been around for a while. And Satoshi kind of believed it needed an upgrade. If you look at the white white paper, that's exactly what it says. It says Bitcoin, peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. However, it, it quickly became pretty clear that um, Bitcoin is actually pretty fast and was, was too slow. Not, not fast. It was actually pretty slow at verifying trans transactions. And it's actually pretty expensive. So what happened um, after Bitcoin was kind of introduced as this? peer-to-peer um, -peer electronic cash system, it was quickly, and I'll kind of get back to the uh, drawbacks a little bit later, quickly it was adopted by people with a libertarian tilt. Um, I would recommend this uh, really incredible podcast series called, um, it's called The uh, Crypto Wars. It is a business war podcast from Wondery, and it details kind of the, re the rivalry between um, Gemini and Coinbase and Binance and all those, but it also has some important um, background information on Bitcoin as a as a concept, like the uh, kind of the evolution of Bitcoin that I never really knew about till I listened to it. And the first thing is quickly people with a libertarian tilt began to champion Bitcoin. Um, one prominent person is named Ro Roger Veer. He was called the uh, Bitcoin Jesus, and he very championed it as his very libertarian um, and these people began to uh, champion Bitcoin as an unsoilable form of money. Um, actually, the first major use case of Bitcoin was as payment on the Silk Road. Um, I don't know if I would look up a video by um, Drake, Jake Tran. He makes a lot of um, business documentaries on YouTube. And he made a video about the uh, founder of Silk Road. I can't remember the name off the top of his head. But if you don't know what that is... It was a road. It was a uh, not a road. It was a website for people to pay very um, to pay Bitcoin in exchange for various illicit materials that I don't want to name here because then I would have to check mark this box as an explicit podcast episode. Um, but you know, um, pew pew, and the things 
and other sorts of things that are very illicit and you could pay with Bitcoin and it wouldn't come back to you. So a lot of illegal um, transactions were made with people in South America buying arms and substances. I guess I can say substances. And you were able to use Bitcoin, which didn't trace back to you. So it was very um, helpful for these lot, uh, very helpful for these people. And but quickly it be realized that Bitcoin is not on par with other forms of money at the moment. And you know that that is, that is obviously subject to change. People are trying to um, figure out how to upgrade Bitcoin in an on chain and off chain to process more transactions. But for example, Bitcoin can only process around 4.6 transactions a second where Visa, the uh, credit card company, can process around 1700 per second. So it's very clear. And then Bitcoin also has, um, it's a little more expensive. You know, you got to take a little bit of a fee because these miners, the people that are mining Bitcoin for to kind of verify these transactions also take their cut. Um, so what that means is Bitcoin actually is slower. And Bitcoin is slower and more expensive than traditional forms of money. So it became pretty clear and you know that's subject to change. Things like that always happen with the new technology. But as of this moment, it is hard for Bitcoin to become a, a major currency. You also think um, it's also price changes very rapidly. So it would be very hard. So it'd be very hard for Bitcoin to be considered a currency because one day your coffee could cost not half a Bitcoin, but you know, one, one day your car could cost two Bitcoin, the next it could cost three, and the day after that it could cost half a Bitcoin. You just never know what the price fluctuations of Bitcoin. I mean, we're seeing inflation, but we're seeing nothing, but even inflation in the dollar is nothing like what's happening with Bitcoin. Nowhere, nowhere near. Um, so quickly, a second group of people rose up, and these people kind of understood, um, okay, we don't necessarily think Bitcoin would be a very good currency, but we think Bitcoin could be gold 2.0 right like a software update for gold and you know i myself kind of fall into this category a little bit more um a second faction kind of um rose up and these people kind of leaned on bitcoin's cap supply of 21 million um for those of you who don't know uh bitcoin can only be mined up to 21 million and after that there will be no more bitcoin right um if you think about the us dollar we have inflation right now um we have inflation right now of eight nine percent and the almost like over half of all U.S. dollars, M1 money supply is what it's called. Um, M1 money supply is things that can be exchanged for goods and services right now. You think about dollars, money in a checking account, traveler's check, you could go out and spend that right now. And over half of all that type of money was created since the pandemic has started. So we have over 15%, 50%, not 15, we have over 50% of U.S. dollars created in the past two years. Gold supply increases around 2 to 3% a year because you're mining more. Um, you're, you're able to dig deeper and find some more gold. But you will never find a pile of Bitcoin under a mountain somewhere, right? We could mine gold off an asteroid one day, who knows? But you will never find any more than 21 million Bitcoin. You just never will. And so these people kind of rose up and they said, okay, we think Bitcoin could be a good hedge against inflation. Um, like we said... Um, you, you will never find any more Bitcoin. There will only be 21 million forever and always, but you may find more gold in the mountain somewhere. The, US, the Federal Reserve might print more dollars if we go into another recession. 
you never know, but you will never find more Bitcoin. So these people decided, okay, this can be a pretty good hedge against inflation because it its supply never increases. It's very it's easy to transfer, right? If you want to transfer gold across an ocean, you have to put it on a boat and pay for boat fees. You don't have to do anything that Bitcoin. You just send it to another address, right? So it has advantages. It can be divided up. You can't really divide up a bar of gold. You can cut a bar of gold, I guess, but that's weird. That's complicated. Bitcoin is divisible into bajillions, right? You can have point oh 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 one of a Bitcoin. You can. So it's very divisible. It's easy. It's easy to transport. Its supply is fixed besides the little bit that's being mined each year up until 21 million. But beyond that, you will never find more than 21 million, period, ever. You know, so a lot of these people thought, okay, Bitcoin seems like almost a software update, a softer version for gold, gold 2.0. And, you know, these these people have some merits. And, you know, I may, I, like I said, I kind of fall into this camp where I can kind of see the reasons why Bitcoin may be a better commodity, a better inflation hedge against gold because of how how fixed the supply is and how easy it is to transport and how divisible it is. The only problem is the narrative that Bitcoin is a good inf inflation hedge has to be sh has to be sown, right? You have people have to believe it's a good hedge against inflation for it to actually act as a good hedge hedge against inflation. And what we've seen is despite all the hype of it being a um hedge against inflation during this massive inflationary period that we're seeing, here in the latter half of 2021 and the early half of 2022, Bitcoin has actually gone down substantially from its highs of almost 70,000 down to now the 20,000 range. Um, Bitcoin is over half, down almost 60% during this period of record inflation that we haven't seen since the 70s. So even though um, in your head it may sound like a better hedge against inflation, what we've seen is that this inflation is triggering recessionary fears which facilitates de-risking. And Bitcoin, because it is such a new asset, because it is so unproven, it is considered a risky asset by most institutions. So those are the first things you're going to sell off. You're not going to sell off your Microsoft stock. You're not going to sell off your Apple stock. Those are very much safer, more blue chip investments that are much more stable in a time like this. So even though in your head, you may be thinking Bitcoin is great. Look at all the ways it's better than gold. So it should be doing what gold does except better, cause is not effect, even though that may be true. And, and these two things can be true at the same time. Bitcoin may, can be better than gold as an alternative, yet it can still go down 60% because people are trying to de-risk. And the first thing you're going toward is this new unproven technology, not your Microsoft stock or your bars of gold. So, you know, you have these two different groups of people who have both bought Bitcoin and they both have fundamental beliefs. But there also are different conflicts between these two different groups of people. On one hand, you have those who want Bitcoin to be a currency. And what does that mean? They want you to spend your Bitcoin. Because if you're going to be using it as a currency, obviously you're going to have to spend it. However, those people who think that it's going to be a hedge against inflation, those people are going to buy and hold Bitcoin for the long term because they believe all your dollars will be losing value your Bitcoin will not. So you have one one set of these group of people who want you to spend it because they want it to be a currency, and there are those who want you to who want you to hold it and buy it as a commodity. So these people have fundamentally different views about what Bitcoin is and about what that means for your investing 
or even those people who wanted to use it as a currency may not even think about it as an investment. Those people are buying it now, but the only reason they're buying it now is because they think they want to use it as currency later. And, you know, you may see market dynamics of it as a currency, but these people, like I said, they're buying it now because you can't really spend your Bitcoin on anything. But, you know, if that vision comes true, if they think, if more things start to be op open to being paid with in Bitcoin, you're going to see these people start to sell their Bitcoin. While these other people who use it as a vehicle for returns against inflation are going to be holding it. So you have this fundamental conflict between these two groups of people that both own Bitcoin, but have very different ideas of what Bitcoin is and very different ideas of what that means for your investing strategy. So it's, it's very interesting. And then, you know, you, of course, you have this third group of people who use it to speculate, who buy it. They're, you know, you see all the uh, screenshots on Twitter and things. People all watch them trading Bitcoin and making bajillions. And these people who don't believe in Bitcoin at all, as far as anything, and they just buy it because they want to make a quick buck when they sell it tomorrow or later today or high frequency trading. You know, so you have these different groups of people who are all buying Bitcoin, yes. But they all have very different ideas of what Bitcoin is, what it means to them, and very different ideas of, of when they're going to sell it and what it means to them. So it's a very interesting for such a new and unproven technology that has such a fierce and loyal fan base. But they have very different ideas about where the, what the future holds and what Bitcoin really is and what that means to them. So it was, you know, and I also think it's very interesting to kind of look at how Bitcoin has failed as a narrative, not only as a currency, because it's clear that it's too slow and too expensive and as an inflation hedge, because in your head, while it makes sense that it could be an inflation hedge, because that's what gold is, everyone considers gold an inflation hedge. And in just about every material way, Bitcoin is better than gold, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, when we've been in an inflationary environment like this, Gold is up or near flat as expected, which honestly, in a market like this, flat is good. You have Bitcoin down 50-60%. So it's just not living up to the narrative that needs to be driven. But still, you have these two loyal fan bases. And I am, I am confused on cryptocurrency. Like I said, this paradox is very interesting. I think blockchain is, is good technology. I think a lot can be done with it. And I think we're still discovering a lot with it. But it's just very interesting when you take a step back and look at the honest truth, how Bitcoin has failed so far and how either of these narratives need to be true. And we need either better technology or we need a cycle that enables people to buy Bitcoin during this inflationary period for either of these narratives to be true and for Bitcoin to really have a definite use case. Because that's the thing about a currency like this and any sort of not any sort of commodity, but a commodity like gold in particular, right? With wool, you make clothes and stuff out of it, right? That's that's a commodity with pigs. You eat it. You know, these types of things are considered commodities. Gold is also considered a commodity. Um, the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, has talked about how he believes Bitcoin could be good as classified as a commodity. But with these commodities, there is no intrinsic value. You can't make much out of gold. Gold's a very fragile, very brittle material. But the narrative has been driven that gold is a good hedge against inflation. So, and is a good store of value. So that narrative has been driven and that gives gold its value. 
what we're seeing is that narrative has not been driven in for Bitcoin yet, because in this inflationary environment, Bitcoin has not stood up to task. So both of these people are struggling with their narrative for Bitcoin being sown, and they have fundamental conflicts about what it means to be a Bitcoin holder. And I think it's very interesting that we may see these people butt heads, and this paradox comes into life, if more merchants start accepting Bitcoin, and if Bitcoin finally rebounds. Because you'll kind of finally see what the motives of all these people holding Bitcoin is because most people who hold Bitcoin are holding it. A lot of retail people are holding it because they believe it's going to bounce back. But what is bounce back, when it bounces back, if it bounces back and merchants start accepting it, you're going to see some people sell. You're going to see some people continue to hold. You're going to see some people take gains. And that's when the motives are going to kind of be revealed of all of these different Bitcoin holders and the Bitcoin paradox will be revealed. So that is all for me for this episode. Um, I'm hopefully going to be able to release another one this week because I know this one's a lot shorter of one. But I just thought this was something interesting that I'd bring up about the paradox between these different types of Bitcoin holders. Um, that is it for me today. I will hope you catch, hopefully catch you later this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to be back on a more consistent basis now. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I hope you enjoy.